0: Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message.
1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to New Covenant. We're so glad you're here today. As Pastor Brian mentioned, difficult subject, but it's something that we promised to to address and this is our second attempt at doing so. We hope there will be more in the future as we, as we move through our lives. Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray that for every single person within the sound of this message. Lord, let us put aside our, our anxiety, our worries, our to-do list, the busyness of life, don't let our phones be a distraction, help us to focus on you and your word and your purpose for all the days that we have left in this world, and we pray these things in Jesus' holy name, amen. So, what we're doing today is very, very different from a normal message, but I believe it ties in in continuing with the series we've been doing when I've been teaching over the past several months called the red letters about the things that Jesus said and if you uh, brought your Bibles uh, please turn to Matthew chapter 7 we will focus on the first few verses there with Jesus still teaching from the Sermon on the Mount and it was at this point where Jesus said do not judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Anybody that's been a Christian for any length of time knows that is probably the most misused and misunderstood comment that Jesus ever made. He is not telling us that anything that anybody else wants to do is fine with God and that we shouldn't be concerned about it. That would clearly not line up with all his other teachings. You know, in Scripture, we're repeatedly taught to use wise and careful judgment in our personal choices and decisions. Bible commentator William MacDonald writes these words that of our Lord are often misconstrued by people to prohibit all forms of judgment. No matter what happens, they piously say, Judge not, lest ye be judged. And they use it as a a defense mechanism from us, saying, leave me alone, stay out of my life, thinking it frees them to do whatever they please. But Jesus is not teaching that we are to be undiscerning, uncaring, unconcerned Christians. He never intended for us to abandon our critical ability to discern, to tell right from wrong truth from lies the new testament has many many illustrations of legitimate judgment of the condition conduct and even teaching of others and in addition there are several areas in which the christian is commanded to make a decision a judgment to discriminate between good and bad or between good and best and because of time constraints we're not going to go into all of those today, and for now, we'll just leave it with the clear understanding that there are two distinctly different areas in play here. We are called upon to use good judgment in our personal lives and in the choices and decisions we make every single day. And we're also called to be interested and concerned and caring about the choices and decisions that others make but it's clear that we are not to pass judgment on others in a good number of areas and a few good examples are we should not judge another person's motives only God truly knows those and we should never judge by appearance not by their hair or the clothes that they wear looks can be absolutely deceiving not by where they live or what they do for a living. Think of Jesus with the Samaritans and the tax collectors and how kindly and lovingly He treated them. We should not judge those who have conscientious scruples or beliefs about matters that are not in themselves right or wrong when we worship, how we baptize, what we eat or, or don't partake of or, or how we take communion or, or do a, a funeral service. We should not judge the service of another Christian because only God knows their abilities and what they have been called to do for the kingdom. And of course, we should never judge another on their physical condition, whether it's body shape, size, their height, their weight, their skin color, ethnicity, nationality, all kinds of things like that. But in this passage, Jesus warns us against something that every single one of us in this room do almost instinctively, without thinking about it, being judgmental towards others. It seems we tend to be especially harsh and critical of those who have similar issues to what we are dealing with in our own lives. And yet for some strange reason, we are often all too eager to set ourselves up as their judge and jury. Even Jesus, who was and is God, did not judge others when He came into this world. In John 12, 47, He said, I will not judge those who hear Me, but don't obey Me, for I have come to save the world and not to judge it. Now His next sentence makes it clear He eventually will be our judge. He says but all who reject me in my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken but that time hasn't come yet and if Jesus didn't come to judge sinners why do we so often feel it's our duty to do so think back to the many many opportunities Jesus had to be judgmental the woman at the well who had five husbands The woman caught in the act of adultery who was about to be put to death by stoning. Even those who participated in his crucifixion were not judged by Jesus. Verse 2, I want to repeat for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. I think we should all write that out and post it on our mirrors or on our dashboards for the next couple of weeks and memorize it and remind ourselves when we see somebody and start immediately putting thoughts in our head about who they are and how they are. He explains that God will treat us in exactly the same way we treat God's children. If we're hard on them, we can expect the Lord to be hard on us. Who wants that? What do we all want? What draws us to his love? It's his forgiveness. It's his grace. And then to lighten the mood a little bit, as he so often did, Jesus uses some of his classic humor, and he goes on in verse 3, And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, uh, Let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite first get rid of the log in your own eye then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye pointing out the truth how we always notice the tiny little fault the little splinter of wood in the eye of the other guy in spite of having a big two by ten stuck in ours was he an expert in human nature or what I really have to watch myself in this area if I'm not careful and and diligent I can think and say critical things about others before I even know their story and background. And even with as much life experience as I have, it's astounding to me how often I am completely wrong about someone after I get to know them, how I discover that I only knew a tiny fraction of their story, their history, their situation. So often when somebody is mean or awful we can find out that they went through almost the same things that they're dishing out to others. It doesn't give them an excuse to do it, but it helps us to be more understanding. Now all of this doesn't mean that we have to stand by silently when a friend, a spouse, or a child is living a life that is dangerous or very, very wrong. As Christians, we are tasked with showing them how much we care and then figuring out a way to share the love and healing words of Jesus. And it all begins by us first taking a close and honest look at our own issues, shortcomings, and sins. Because inside our heart is where healing by the Holy Spirit begins. Then with love and care, it spreads outwardly into the lives of others we are not their judge. Jesus will take care of that duty in his perfect way, in his perfect timing. Meanwhile, we must use good judgment for ourselves without being judgmental towards them. And the church in general does not have a history of being very good about this. If we think back to previous lessons in this series, through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus pointed out again and again the long history of wrong religious application of the loving meaning that Jesus, that God intended with the original Scriptures. He taught us that God blesses those who are poor in spirit and who realize their need for Him. He blesses those who mourn and will comfort them. He blesses the humble and will give them the, the, the world. He blesses those who are merciful to others and will show them... His mercy, God blesses those whose hearts are pure and will allow them to see Him face to face. And we should too. One of the cruelest things we often slip into without realizing it is judging another based on their health, whether it's physical or mental health. And this brings us to the the main focus of the issues we're going to discuss this morning. Things that the church at large has either not spoken of at all or spoken of in very condemning and judgmental ways, or treated as unpardonable sins, depression, mental illness, suicide. And I've tried to touch on these subjects several times in my messages here over the past few years, but overall the church at large around the world has been silent on the issues or extremely condemning. And this really hit home to all of us in a deeply personal way when our pastor's wife took her own life early this year, hit us all hard extremely painful eye-opening heartbreaking both for the family that we love and for ourselves and since the beginning of the pandemic i have personally presided over at least six funerals for suicides more than i had experienced during the previous 10 years altogether and when i shared the news of carly's death with you we promised we would do our best to begin addressing the issue in an open and healthy and loving way here at New Covenant. We had a really good presentation some time back from our, our brother John Thurman that helped us begin to understand. We've reached out to some national ministries and invited them to come in, and we're hoping that will still happen, but that could take quite a long time. So today we hope to take another step on our own by sharing with you from the eyewitness perspective of those who sometimes call themselves survivors of suicide those who are left behind when someone they love takes their own life and before we start I I pray that you would please listen with a loving heart and an open mind if you or your family or friends have never been associated with anyone who deals with these difficult issues count yourself as very blessed. But beware no one is immune regardless of who you are or how close you are to Jesus Every single one of us are at risk through our children, our teenagers, even adult children, our grandkids, our spouses, siblings, co-workers, neighbors, and friends. Even mature older adults are vulnerable. These issues are not going to go away and indications are that the numbers are burgeoning every day. The statistics are startling. In 2020 there were almost 46,000 suicides in the US. That's a 30 percent increase from just 20 years earlier. Suicide is the third leading cause of death for our young people, 15 to 24, yet most suicides happen with adults 45 and older, especially for men, and there's one suicide death in the U.S. every 11 minutes. Now, it's important to understand that not all depression, not all mental illness, leads to suicide, yet it's a factor. Not all depression and mental illness is caused by use and or abuse of drugs or alcohol. Some of it does, but there's a lot of recent research that shows that a lot of it just comes from within the person's body, through their their brain, through a chemical imbalance, or the issue of the body's production or lack of production of certain hormones. And then as the person struggles to try to feel somewhat normal, they often start to self-medicate and then begin to slip into substance abuse. There are clearly many cases where there's this issue without any evidence of substance abuse. But we tend to judge, don't we, when we see these cases. For a lot of families, it sneaks in the back door with a loved one long before even those closest to the person this something's not right. And because the subject has been tab- taboo to discuss for so long, Most of us are clueless, and to help remedy that, we've invited two special guests to join us this morning. I want to invite you to come on up, another who will share their stories through personal experience. The idea is to make us all more aware of our warning signs to give us a better chance, a head start. Brian, I want you to go ahead and come on out and remove the podium, please, so we know where to look and how to better recognize mental health issues when they do pop up in our family and friends. I want you to uh, welcome Desiree Woodland and her brother, who you might recognize, our, our friend Pastor Matthew Ellison. Let's welcome them to New Covenant. You both have deeply personal involvement with surviving suicide. Desiree, how did you first get involved?
2: So I'm gonna say our, I say my son, but he belonged to both of us. Um, But when he was a teenager, he began isolating and not hanging out with friends, feeling very sad and displaying marked personality changes. I attributed it to adolescent angst, as most of us know that adolescence is a time of a lot of struggle anyway. So I prayed for him. And when he began hearing and seeing things that weren't there, I just prayed harder I was at a loss because I didn't believe that mental illness was real and I certainly didn't understand what it was. I had stereotyped images of someone on the street corner talking to themselves and I thought that's certainly not my son so it can't be that. So I couldn't recognize it and Ryan struggled for several years until he couldn't struggle anymore. And I blamed myself for not knowing what mental illness was and presuming that nothing as awful as suicide could happen in my family.
1: And not only did you not understand, but it seemed like no one in your church did either.
2: Oh, oh, absolutely. Um, And I think you brought out a really great point, Steve, that we don't talk about this kind of subject. It doesn't really seem like something you would talk about in church and yet it is something that's happening in our world. Um, We don't talk about our struggles. We don't know that church might be a safe place to share that I'm struggling or my child has been to a psychiatric hospital or taken psychiatric meds. And keeping quiet only makes it worse. And it's lonely to be in a community where you don't know that you're safe to be able to share such things. So I've been a believer for most of my life, but after Ryan's suicide, I wasn't sure if God was there. How could this happen in a loving Christian family? The grief and sorrow overwhelmed me, and it has been a hard and slippery climb back to faith. But I have to say, I am grateful that I went through a period of time where I didn't believe, because it has allowed me to minister to others who are struggling just as desperately to find God in this new paradigm. And as soon as my brother was contacted about my son he was there and um, he was he knew how to walk alongside me he listened he didn't judge me he listened as i wept and poured out my heart and my fear that god wasn't really there one of the things that he told me that i still hang on to today is that the death of ryan is a lifetime of need and Truly, that opened the door for me to be able to begin to try to trust God. I could lean on my brother's hope when I didn't have any.
1: Matt, you are that brother. And help us set the stage a little bit. We don't always understand or think the same things when we hear terms like mental illness or mental health. What's a healthy way for us in the church to understand and address these terms and issues in a way that reflects the
3: teachings of Jesus. Yeah, it's real. You brought up the statistics. It's pervasive and it's in the church and because it's taboo, as you mentioned, we don't like to talk about it and I think we need to do away with that stigma. I think we need to create an atmosphere where people can talk about what's really going on in their lives. Uh, You know, I did a message some I don't know, a couple months ago, we're all broken. We live in a broken world Full of broken people. Um, everywhere you turn, there's brokenness. No one has complete wholeness as they desire, not the side of heaven. And so we need to create an environment where it's okay to talk about these things. And as you said, that we don't cast judgment on people that are facing these issues. And Desi brought something up, uh, you know, that I was there for her. The, the funny thing was, I didn't have any profound wisdom to share. <laughs> um, I didn't know what to say, I mean, it shook me, you know, but I, I was there and, and I listened and I think that's the greatest gift you can give to people who are grieving, is just sitting with them, crying with them, right?
1: Yeah, the ministry of presence. The ministry of
3: presence. And you know, it's interesting, and I think this is something only, only the Holy Spirit can do, but I felt a measure of her grief. I didn't feel what she was feeling. In fact, never tell someone in the midst of incredible grief, I understand what you're going through, exactly. no matter what it is. Don't ever say that. But I had a small measure of that grief. You know, she's my sister for one thing, and I loved Ryan, but, you know, I, I, there was a lump in my throat. There, there was a heaviness in me, too. And so I realized, just sit with her. And that's what I did. I mean, that's really... I think the best gift I gave you was just being there.
1: The church is okay with someone going to a doctor and getting medication if they have heart disease or their kidneys are failing. What is it about the, the shame and what I call the blame game with mental illness that has made the church shy away and reject people who are dealing with this?
3: Yeah, I, I think there is this idea, and again, you hit on it. When someone is suffering in this way, we assume it's a sin issue. Oh, there must be sin in this person's path. They must lack faith. And, and there's even some biblical counselors out there that have said, look, all type of, you know, psychiatric drugs are wrong. They're bad. These people just need to go to the Word. And, you know, I, I read some of those books and kind of leaned into them early on in my pastorate, and I realized it's just not that simple. It, this is very complicated. It, the brain is so complex, we're just learning things. And so I, I think, as you said, there are chemical imbalances that, you know, need to be diagnosed and treated just like you would a, a broken arm. You, you wouldn't say, just get over the broken arm. You would go to the doctor and they would set it and cast it. And when someone has this type of brokenness, they should see a doctor. We
1: use the term mental illness. You mentioned stigma, stigmatat- stigmatization of it. I've been trying to get people to start using the term mental wellness. I don't know anybody that would be very comfortable approaching one of us as a pastor or as a friend and say, I think I have mental illness. But I think it would make it much more comfortable if they knew that we would understand what they're talking about. If they said, I have some concerns about my mental wellness. Can can, can we talk about this? Because I think along with possibly, not in all cases, but possibly medication, which can be very, very helpful. Jesus is still part of the equation, part of the answer, right, Desiree?
2: Absolutely, he is. And and I think you do bring up a, an important point. We have a lot of stigma when we hear, hear the word mental illness, for sure. But for me, I didn't understand that, I mean, we all have mental health and we all work towards mental wellness, but I didn't realize that someone's mental health could get sick. And that it could be, a, and that it, it is a result of genetics, biology, those chemicals, or possibly sometimes it could be drugs or trauma. But being able to say that a mental illness is just an illness of the brain is powerful, um, because there's so much guilt and um, that people feel that they could have, you know, been able to make a difference if they had just recognized it. And truly, that was one of the hardest things that I had to let go of because i didn't know what i didn't know
1: i was going to say you know so much more now after the fact you're deeply involved in an organization survivors of suicide mm-hmm. you've uh, you've written a book called i Still believe which i just i just read last week you've educated yourself in numerous ways you've experienced this with a good number of other people who've gone through it but it was totally uncharted territory for you when your son started behaving in ways that didn't make sense.
2: Oh, absolutely, and I'm a retired teacher, so you would have thought I would have seen something. But to not, I think you said something about the church or society in general, we all need to be educated because we never know when we're going to meet someone who might need some of the resources or some of the love and care that we could help you know, steer that person towards getting the kind of help that they need.
1: Your son was raised in the church. He, he, he knew Jesus. You shared scriptures with him. You prayed for him, prayed with him, and, and yet this still happened. That has to be devastating, and as you said, for a period, it really made you question your faith.
2: Well, it really did. And I, I, I can't, I'm not blaming anyone in the church because we can only know what we know at the time. Mm-hmm. But I have learned through the work that I've done with, with SOS and um, the, the program in schools called Breaking the Silence New Mexico, that it's so important that we talk about our struggles and that we make it okay not to be okay so that people will feel safe to come and talk with us. And then we can lead them to resources.
1: Matt, let's go back to a little bit of the church perspective. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people have come to feel that suicide is the unpardonable sin, that depression itself is a sin. We know from Scripture that many people in the Bible, including King David, went through Great Depression. That's right. A lot of famous pastors have struggled with it.
3: That's right. Spurgeon being one of them, who we all quote, we all quote Spurgeon, and he had incredible bouts with depression. So this is not the unforgivable sin. And I think we need just to state that. At the same time, we do need to say, clearly, it is sin because we know taking a life is sin. And I I think we need to really hold on to this idea that life is a precious gift of God. It is His to give and His to take. We should never take matters into our own hands. However, it is not the unforgivable sin. And I heard an illustration from a pastor that I think is really helpful. Um, imagine my wife and I were in a terrible fight. Terrible fight and in anger. I left the house, I got in my car and I drove and I wasn't paying attention and I got into an accident and I died. Um, though it was unintentional, I died in sin. I, I, am I going to be <clears throat> not allowed into God's presence because of the state of my heart at that moment? And it's no different, <clears throat> excuse me. And I think that is an illustration that you know people need to think about. It's not the unforgivable sin. He, Take the price for our sins in the future as well. And so um, at the same time, let me say this if someone is struggling with thoughts of suicide and, and you're thinking that it is the path out, don't do it. That's right, it's not the right answer. Jesus yeah. has a better way. Now, you may feel, <clears throat> and I think this is important, you may feel that it is the only path because you are in utter darkness. And I think that happens when believers are in such a state of depression, they have a lapse and they feel it's the only way out. But talk to someone, (laughs) talk to a pastor, talk to a friend, talk to someone, Jesus has a better way. Okay,
1: well thank you very much. Uh, Matthew's gonna be back next week to teach with us. We want to invite up our next guest right now, um, someone who bravely has has offered to share her heart and share her story. Tracy Hayden is here, and let's uh, let's welcome her. Would you take seats? Would you take seats? (laughs) Tracy, thank you so much for agreeing to come up and talk with us today. Um, You being a survivor of suicide is very new. It's very raw. You just uh, did the funeral service for your son Tyler very, very recently. Um, talk about how quickly things changed in your situation with him as a young adult. Um, yeah, my
4: had and he um, At the beginning of 2021 was the first time that I had realized that he was really dealing with uh, severe depression, anxiety. Um, he had some issues within his marriage. And um, he did tell me that he had been suicidal, had suicidal thoughts, had even in, had contemplated it on a deployment in 2020. And uh, he started to get some counseling. And I think that we thought things were moving forward because he had you know, talked about it, and we were talking, and we were doing a Bible study together, and I thought things were getting better. And then he came home for Christmas, this last Christmas, and uh, I realized that it was really bad. Um, He had tremors. He had severe anxiety, depression. He wasn't sleeping. He was drinking a lot, um, I think even more than I realize. And uh, he broke down one morning over coffee and just told me that he felt hopeless. And uh, he didn't see a future. Um, he was really broken about his marriage failing and then uh, even another relationship that he had kind of gotten into felt like he was gonna be alone, um, felt very rejected and just alone and sad and um, it was really hard so we had to send him home because he was in the military I couldn't keep him and uh, he went home on January 4th and he attempted his first attempt on January 7th.
1: And you weren't aware that once someone makes an attempt, it's very likely they will try again.
4: Yeah. Um, after his first attempt, the military jumped in. They knew what was going on. They got him into AA. They had him in counseling. He was seeing a doctor. He was on antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication. My husband and I went out and moved him into a new apartment. We. Uh, thought he was excited about, like, a new beginning. And uh, we spent three days with him that I just am really grateful for now. Because that was the last time that we saw him. Um, Things were going good again. And then about two weeks before he completed his suicide, uh, he quit talking to me so much, quit doing the Bible study that we were doing together. and. the last time I texted him was on April 25th. I just asked, Hey, how are you doing? Can we start up a Bible study again? He never texted me back. And I went to bed that night thinking, You know, just give him some space. He's 25. And uh, he took his life that night.
1: Pastor Matthew mentioned that we can't possibly say, I know how you feel. Devastating for both of you ladies what kind of things can we as Christians say and not say to those who've gone through something like this? Desiree, let's start with you. One of the words that people often use is
2: commit suicide and that's kind of in the survivor community, maybe not something, because they didn't commit a crime. Yes, they had sinned, but it sounds like they've you know, it, it's already a judgmental way to talk about someone who takes their life. And the other one is, you know, we often think that suicide is selfish. How could you have done that to your family? But we don't understand that what that person is feeling is suicidal thinking. We, we're we trying to figure that out with our non-suicidal mind. Um, and I think, as Matthew said, the best thing is talk about them, use, your, use their child's name. Just because it was suicide doesn't mean we don't wanna talk with them. We want to remember them for the rest of our lives. So having someone say their name is a gift.
1: Tracy has been in my mind so bold and such a, a strong pioneer in this and just being brand new to this and it was a post on social media she made last week while I was on vacation that gave me the idea to bring her up here today you had someone say, well, I haven't talked to you. I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to trigger you. And you had strong disagreement with that. Talk about how that made you feel.
4: Um, well, first, it made me sad to think that um, you know, somebody felt like they couldn't reach out um, because I do appreciate it when people reach out. I also understand it's a, it's a really awkward subject, hmm. but um, on my side, I feel awkward my son took his life. And I know there's lots of stigma and judgment around that. And so when people um, don't say anything, or I find out that they were scared to say something, that sometimes make me feel more awkward. We've
1: also had uh, situations where people that you've felt close to, felt were friends, have avoided you, and, and, and you've come to figure out that, oh, they feel like It was that unpardonable sin and so somehow what you're not worthy to talk
4: to yeah um, I have uh, somebody that used to talk to me all the time and uh, at work and now that I've been back this person has not spoken one word to me and that makes me feel very awkward and somebody did tell me that they thought this person was of the belief that it was an unpardonable sin so we just shouldn't talk about it
1: we, we could talk about this for hours but but we're on a time limit today um, i want to know in general what kind of resources are available for all of us to learn about because as i said earlier nobody is immune and is if it hasn't touched us personally yet odds are it will for someone we know or someone we love what's available locally and nationally
2: so Finally, churches are starting to wake up and talk about this because it is such a pervasive problem. Um, There's some resources out there that mention faith-based. Saddleback, you mentioned them. There's a program. Um, There is also um, a, a Christian home for people, who a residential home called Mercy Multiplied. Um, There is NAMI FaithNet. So I don't know if you're familiar with National Alliance on Mental Illness, but it is a great way to learn more about this subject. And because they're embracing faith, it feels pretty amazing. So um, can I say one more thing about comforting one another? Um, Tracy is part of our moms group, the group that we didn't want to be a part of. But you know, we share our hearts, and we help one another through these very thorny, painful issues and we comfort one another. And I think you had asked about what can you say to help people. I think just trusting the process of grief in them because comfort will come to them in God's time. That's his plan for us. But we're blessed that we have a group of us who have experienced the same loss and can come together. And, you know, amazing that we get to have this opportunity to speak to you and share, um, you know, hopefully your heart has been opened and, um, because it's something that we need to talk about in church. When I went
1: through training to become an ordained chaplain 12 years ago, they did an afternoon class titled Dumb Things Caring People Say and every time they listed one I sunk further down in my chair because I had, I had been guilty of all, all of them many many times and as Christians we want to spout scripture, we want to we say things but the, the best thing to say is so sorry, and I'm here, and I care, and I'm available. And then to follow up because at the funeral, everybody is there, and then for so often, you feel so isolated afterwards. And we have um, our, our friend, uh, Chaplain Gavi, who's here. She's written a great book called Reduce Suicide Ideation. Think 3, 2, 1. She is here. Uh, Desiree is going to be out in the foyer afterwards. We've got two tables, one on each side of the Welcome Center. We'll have some volunteers there who can talk with you. Um, Chaplain Gavi has two seminars coming up very soon, uh, both uh, for, for our, at, uh, hosted at Calvary Chapel. We hope to have one here soon. Her seminars are almost filled up. There's just a few spots left in each of those, but we hope in the future to be able to do this here. But whether we are or not, my prayer is that we will leave here today with a changed heart and a different idea on looking at how we judge those who are going through things that we can't possibly understand. Ladies, thank you so much for sharing your hearts. Let's welcome them as they go back and take their seats and we can continue with our service. As I call the worship team out, please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we didn't want today's service to be like a television talk show, but we just felt it was so important to hear from those who have experienced this grief, this unimaginable pain in their own lives through their own children. And Father God, I pray that the things that we heard today would change each of us so that we would not be judgmental, so that we would learn, practice hased, the loving kindness that we've talked about so much during these journeys into your scripture teachings that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Help us to be better today than we were when we came into this building as we head out into the world, and we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.
0: This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. NCCABQ.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.